Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. This week, we are drinking Four loco. It's not going well. We, <laughs> we have yet to record. We've been here for three hours. Um, Four Locos are not tasty. No, they taste horrible. So don't buy them. Uh, we just decided to do Four Locos because it's our 21st episode. Yeah, we were trying to decide, like, what is, like, a super 21 thing to do? Four loco. Yeah, because when I was 21, I was definitely drinking this. I was drinking juice, J-O-O-S-E. Ugh, just grossed out. We were talking about yeah. I had had sparks oh, floating the yep. river in Chico. Yeah. Anything with malt liquor and caffeine. Ugh. We were about it you back in young, the day. You young kids. You know, every every young group is going to be the same in a different way. Mm-hmm. We're in the same age group. <laughs> no, I'm talking about oh. young people today. Young oh, okay. people today. <laughs> well, I wonder what the thing is today. They're put. They're oh I'm the vodka make, tampons. Yeah, vodka bumps. tampons. They're crazy. <laughs> no, they're not. So I don't mean that. to be offensive, young people, but quit putting vodka tampons up your anuses. <laughs> That's not where that goes. No, no. Other things go. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. No, no, no. no. How much more loco have you had? Other things go there. <laughs> I wish. I wish you could have seen your face go from, like, normal and saying it to realizing what you'd said. It was great. Nope. Um, um. I don't know why I didn't think this would be a shit show. <laughs> I'm now realizing it obviously from the start was going to be a shit show. Yeah. And the thing is, I wanted to get more cans. But I ended up with just two. Because we, like, we were like debating flavors, trying to figure out flavors. Mm-hmm. And then I found a recipe <sighs> for homemade faux locos. I don't think we're, that's not going to happen. I don't see how we get there. No, there's no way. We'll give you the rest. Or we'll tell you. I mm, We'll figure it out. No one wants to make these. I'm curious. I feel like these taste so bad. So bad. Don't Don't buy these. This is malt liquor with caramel color apparently the gold yeah <laughs> i snuck the better flavor away from you that yeah, was mean yeah mine's more like alcohol percentage mm-hmm. it's been rough going um go make a regular cocktail we promise we'll bring no no <laughs> get this gross drink i <laughs> drink it drink you it know i saved them from sir friend acid and i told them not to drink it yeah have this gross drink with us. All right. Realize the pain that we're in. I actually... You will have a good time. We have nothing but laughed. This is the thing. We did a little taster uh, tutorial video, and that will be up on our Instagram, and it is nasty, but now I'm having the time of my life. We can't stop laughing. We can't stop laughing. Um, I think one... And these are, this is... I'm, I'm sure you'll get into this, the new recipe mm-hmm. for a logo and all of that. Yeah. Like, this is the current iteration, what you can find in the gas station down the street from your home. Yeah. Fruit punch is readily available. All the other flavors are hard to come by. I found out the hard way. Definitely bring your ID with you because you will get carded when you buy these. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. You know what? Drink responsibly. Please do. B21. B21. Go ahead and get your one can of Four loco. Mm-hmm. your flavor choosing. Go for it and drink with Here us. Here was us trying to figure out math. I read that a serving is five ounces, and then you laughed and went, this can's not five ounces. They're huge. 
<laughs> yeah. There's like <gasps> four and a half servings per can. Yeah. So this ne- definitely knocks you on your butt. Actually. If, if they didn't intend. Here's the thing that I'm going to throw in this. Okay. You know how they say like. You'll you'll look at serving sizes and you're like, okay, you tell me that five Doritos is a serving, but everyone, you're, I'm going to eat this whole fun pack. That's a carbonated beverage. The moment you crack that seal, you have to. You're drinking all of it. So I'm actually going to explain this in oh, the history a little bit. I'm excited. All right, ready? I'll quit interrupting you. Please tell me. <laughs> all right, so we're going to jump into the history of the Four Loco. So Four Loco is a line of formerly caffeinated alcohol, alcoholic beverages sold by. Fusion Projects of uh, Chicago, Illinois, of the United States. Chi-town. <laughs> In case you didn't know where Chicago, Illinois was. Sorry. Okay. Fusion operates as Drink for Brewing Company. For Loco, the company's most popular beverage, debuted in the United States market in two- 2005 and is available really? in- Really? 2005? Yeah. Okay. I was 25. Yeah. That kind of- uh, No. I mean, that jibes, I guess, because I wasn't in- It, it kind of jibes. I mean, obviously, that's the truth. That's what you just said. 2000. Oh, my years are off. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> debuted in the United States market in 2005 and is available in 49 states and in 21 countries, including Guatemala, Paraguay, the Bahamas, China, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name four is derived from the original drinks content of four standard drinks. Oh. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. Which is so also it's insane. So it's a can that is four drinks. Four drinks. This thing's been crazy from the start. Yes. Even before the caffeine. I mean, it's always. But before it had the caffeine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so four branded products have been the object of legal, ethical, and health concerns related to the company allegedly marketing them to underage drinkers and the danger of combining alcohol and ca- caffeine. Yeah. After the beverage was banned in several states, a product reintroduction in December of 2010 removed all the caffeine ingredients. Yeah. So, <clears throat> a little bit about the founders. Uh, the founders are Jason Freeman and Jeff Wright, who graduated. Let me guess. Yeah. They were college buddies. Uh-huh. West Coast. Uh, West or East Coast, not middle of America. Okay. Uh, that's all I got. Okay. They graduated from Ohio State University. I was so off. (laughs) And as students, they were active members of the Kappa Sigma fraternity. And many of their original drink blends were created in the fraternity's mansion's basement and party room. Oh, no. They had enjoyed caffeine mixed with alcohol and recalled buying Thai energy drinks from a nearby Asian market to sell to other students at an upmark, claiming that they were, quote, unquote, importing the stuff from abroad. Oh, that's they, funny. <laughs> they would later describe themselves as our own target market. In 2005, the entrepreneurial team designed a prototype energy beer, now known as Four Loco, marketed as a premium malt beverage in cherry and berry flavors. The drink contained, oh, I'm going to say these all wrong, tearing, garring, caffeine, yep. and wormwood, mm-hmm. uh, the, which is the supposed psychoactive ingredient of absinthe. Wormwood, yeah. Um, so I don't know if you remember this, but the original concoction of the Scott band. I never had an original Crazy Four logo. Oh, I did. Yeah, I had not. And it was blackout in the camera. My, my friends were into them. <clears throat> nope. Yeah. No, there was like, there was a couple of music artists who did rap songs about Four yeah. Loco. Um, you definitely blacked out. 
Uh, so it gets banned, and so starting weeks prior to the FDA ruling, many fans and others seeking financial gain purchased large quantities of the drink, including my college friend Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, this buying rush quickly created a black market for the drink, with many sellers changing nearly five, oh, charging nearly five times the drink's retail price. For a loco appeared on Craigslist, and uh, collectible cans of the drink were being sold on eBay. Huh? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's your history of the four loco. Dang. Yeah. Are you ready for my story? Yes. Let's jump in. On the morning of July sixteenth, nineteen ninety-six, mm-hmm. someone entered. Tardy, T-A-R-D-Y, Tardy Furniture Store, shooting and killing the four employees inside, and it was loco. Oh, my God. Was that a tagline for someone's article? Nope. I made that up. Oh, my God. That's my tie. You made up your own tie? Well, four loco is the drink. Yeah. Four people were killed. Oh, okay. And it was loco. (sighs) What's a Tardy? Tardy is the name of the furniture store. So Mr. Tardy. Oh, okay. Mr. Tardy owned... Okay, so let me now tell you about the story. Now that I've made my terrible joke. (laughs) So this guy starts a furniture store. Okay. And this is in Mississippi. Do you want to know how I found this story? Because I feel like... I feel like you want to tell me. I I do because (laughs) I want people to... to, Okay, so I was in Tahoe this last weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. And we got snowed in, and I knew that I was going to have a really long, horrible drive back to Oregon. So I started looking for podcasts to just jam on, because what should have been a seven-hour drive was an 11-hour drive, and I didn't get into like, two in the morning. So I was Jesus. like, I need to have some, like, really engaging things happening. I can't just be listening to the same garbage music that I listen to. Yeah. So I found a podcast. I feel like I found it on Reddit. In a, like, what are you listening to podcast. So I downloaded all the episodes of season one of this podcast called In the Dark. Mm -hmm. And it was so good. Really? But let me tell you, I was alone (sighs) in an old truck (laughs) in the middle of buttfuck nowhere on icy, snowy roads driving through eastern Oregon... I just kept being like, I am hearing about murders, and if this car breaks down or I slide off an edge, like, I was in four-wheel drive going hella slow for forever. Yeah. So there was this, like, extra level of on-edgeness. Yeah. Given my situation and scenario, and anytime I would pass, like, a car that had been, like, on the side, and, like, and I'm by myself, like, an hour would go by and I'd see no other cars. Jesus. Which is frightening. And then, like, you'd pass by, like, one weird random house with the lights on. I'd be like, who are those people? Or, like, like <laughs> stupid, like, people just living their lives. Yeah. Truckers being truckers. But I'd, like, invent these things in my head. It was very scary. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of having fun. <laughs> so <clears throat> I listened to the whole first season, and it was so good. If you liked season one of Serial, mm-hmm. ugh, really? you, you will, like, <gasps> in the dark. Because it's very similar. Yeah. They pick a case and they're following it. And so that one's all about uh, this. uh, It's really sad. This kid who is um, he's riding bikes with his like brother and friends in the middle of the night. No, it's like eight o'clock. They call their parents and he's like, hey, can we ride our bikes down to 
this little store and rent a movie mm. and the parents are like and it's like he's never done it before at night yeah. and the parents are super concerned and they're like well if you have a flashlight with you like the mom's like no but he's but like yeah and he's like well let me ask dad let me ask dad and dad says oh, yes God. Yeah. oh the guilt of all it's horrible yeah so, but then you like, you put yourself in the same place. It's like, I have asked my parents to have my, for like, yeah. and being the parent, you're like, I want to, they're in Minnesota. They're the in this like small spent. ass yeah. town. I went off on a tangent on this other story, but like they're in this small ass town. So it's a group of kids and they're riding their bikes. They ride down, they get the movie they're going to get. They get their snacks at the store next door and they're riding back together. And as they're riding back together, this dude just jumps out because he like, uh, he goes, I have a gun. I'm going to shoot you guys. How old are you? I'm 10. How old are you? I'm 11. And then he tells what, like, you run off, you, and he just snatches one of them. And he's gone. No. And, like, then they get back to the house. The, a babysitter is watching the kids. And, and they're like, <gasps> oh. our brother just got snatched. She calls her dad. Like, it's all of it's awful and horrible. Yeah. And the whole, the whole season one is about that story. Yeah. And that story is crazy. Yeah. So that's my whole drive up from Tahoe is, like, just binging all of that. Then I get here and I was like, that was so good. There's another season. Yeah. So I'm listening to that. And I haven't, I'm, like, a one episode away and I really wanted to finish before we talked about this. <laughs> Um, and this story is so crazy. So I'm going to try and like, I'm going to water down and condense all of this. Yeah. You, you should listen to in the dark season two. Everybody listening should listen to in the dark season two. If this, if this story like entices you at all, there's so much good information that I'm just going to completely breeze over. Yeah. But so there is this furniture store. It's in the morning time. It's like two weeks after fourth of just like middle of July. And, the i think the guy who owned it like he's like a retired employee he comes and he comes across execution style for employees they all are like one shot to the head one shot to the head one shot to the head one of them has two shots to the head okay they're not bound in any way they're not like everyone looking at the scene is kind of like if someone comes in and shoots one person everyone else scatters mm -hmm. you're like someone's shooting people and you run but that's not really what the scene says it's like one person got shot. like either it's in secession in some strange way or more than one person's involved but it's strange i don't think the place had been raw i think like they're just dead so <clears throat> police come and they're investigating and this is 96 so like to give you reference like oj's kind of going on like we're kind of in the time frame of DNA and all that like it's you know it's people talk about it it's, a, it's something used in trials so they and on that same morning so this is July 16th then there's this guy who either he calls the police or he's talking about it so someone else calls the police but he goes my car got broken into this, this guy his name's Doyle my car got broken into and someone stole my gun and it was a 380 380 handgun and police immediately like uh it was a 380 used in they don't have a murder weapon at the furniture store they pull a like there was a jammed bullet so when you when it doesn't fire and it jams then you have the shell casing and the bullet you have everything mm -hmm. so they find one of those there so they know it's a 380 so they're like ooh, 380 yeah we'll, we'll be over there in a minute take this guy's statement so they like they talk to this guy and he's like uh i had left it in my car and they're kind of like, where did you get? And this is one of like, this is like all of this is a whole episode. Um, where did you get it? And he's kind of being like shady about where he got it. He says this one guy gave it to him. He's like, I didn't give him that gun. And like, there's all this business about this dude who says that the gun was stolen from his car. 
yeah. on the day of the of the murder. So there's kind of some fishiness there. Then, like six months or so go by, and then they arrest Curtis Flower. So Curtis Flower had 13 days prior to the murder, he had been an employee at, he was a new employee. He had gotten hired on at the furniture store as like a, there were people like salespeople on the floor. And then there were like people who would drive around and like do deliveries and stuff. So he was one of the like drive around, do delivery stuff guys. So he had gotten hired on. He'd only worked there for three days before being terminated. And there's kind of debate in terms of how that happened. So he had worked there and while he was working there, so this is down in Mississippi and they have all these interviews with these people with wonderful Mississippi drawls. Like it's full of great character voices. But so one of the husbands of one of the women who was murdered at the furniture store, he's saying she thought he was scary from the get go. He would stare at her and she, like they'd tell him to do something and he would just stare at them. And then he would do like, so this husband of a murdered wife in hindsight is saying, my, my, my wife used to say this guy was really, he really made her feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. and all of this. <clears throat> then this other guy is saying, yeah, whenever I met him, like, uh, he never met eyes. And so like, there's conflicting stuff about how he is around people, but all of them are kind of I mean, like, one's with the man, one's with the exactly. woman. Exactly. Yeah. And Curtis Flower is black and these are white people. Okay. In Mississippi. Okay. And, uh, so there's kind of this picture getting painted that like while he was there, he made people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But then you get this other flip of the story where he had been there for, so on his third day, he was supposed to like load all these batteries into his truck, like big giant, like goal zero, big batteries. And he didn't tie them down. And I guess there wasn't like a tailgate on the truck. Oh, no. So like all the batteries fall out and they completely get destroyed. <clears throat> and he kind of just takes it like the sense you get of Curtis is that he just kind of like it's hard to ruffle his feathers. He's incredibly laid back. He doesn't get agitated. He doesn't get mad. Everyone's like, Kurt, he's just a happy-go-lucky, super Christian guy that, like, you know, so he'd, like, all this, and he's like, ah, you know. Yeah. So he goes to, um, I, I think her name is Bertha. I'll pull it up. But, like, the owner of the furniture store, and he's like, all these batteries broke. Uh-oh. And then she's like, well, let me go to the manufacturers and see if, like, if they'll cover the fact that they broke. If they don't, I'm going to have to take it out of your paycheck. And yeah. he's like, oh, I understand. It's like not a big deal. Yeah. He breaks these batteries. He's a new employee. And she's like, you know what? Maybe you're going to have to pay for it. Maybe you won't. I'll let you know. Yeah. But she's obviously not so mad because we're going into the 4th of July holiday at this point. She's obviously not so mad because she loans him 30 bucks. Mm. She's like, hey, uh, you don't have your paycheck yet and blah, blah, blah. So she loans him $30 to, like, get him through the weekend. Yeah. Then he just quits showing up for work. So she doesn't fire him. He's not ever termed. It's not, like, a contentious thing. And when she had done the reference check for him, they called the employer before him. They were like, he's like, oh, he's a great worker, but, like, I had to let him go because he just, like, quit showing up for work. Hmm. So it jibes with the history of him working that he would just be like, ah, and just kind of quit going. Yeah. So the way it gets painted later is that he is a agitated former employee that broke uh. these batteries, was told he was going to have to pay for them and was fired. And that this was retaliatory. So that's the framework that gets put on it. Um, but then there's other, there's another flip side of the story where it's like, well, he wasn't that agitated and like, he didn't get fired. He just quit going to work and, 
didn't that's, have that job anymore. That's what yeah. happens when you don't go to work anymore. Um, but so the the investigation quickly kind of centers on Curtis. So he had he was in Texas, I think, at the time when like six months after the murder. So they go out and they like extradite him. He doesn't fight extradition. He comes out. He waves his Miranda rights. Um, so they try him for murder of these four people and they say that and like he kind of has an alibi he kind of doesn't like he doesn't have a car he lives i think like four miles or so from the store and they're saying and they come up with this whole route where he like he walked to the store and that people saw him the whole way and like as i'm listening to this i'm like oh like eyewitness testimony and, and they're like it's people who knew him they're like no i saw curtis Oh, shit. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. not very good. And like, I saw Curtis on that morning. I saw him here. I saw him here. And like, you're like, okay, well, that's not good. That's and not did, good. That's not good. Did he have any kind of priors to the, like, in that kind no, of realm? There's no okay. criminal history. Interesting. No. Interesting. I mean, he straight up, like, plays in a, like, he's a singer at, at a church. Yeah. He plays in his dad's, like, Christian band. Um, hangs out with family all the time. Like, there's just not... There's not a lot of really nefarious things happening. And when, like, the gun stuff starts coming up, everyone's like, he wasn't a gun guy. Like, Mm. he just, he didn't shoot guns, he didn't know guns, didn't do drugs. Like, none of that stuff's really there. So, uh, so they center on him pretty quickly. And there's this guy, Doug Evans. He's the district attorney for the area. So he gets a real hard-on for Curtis. And he is sure of his... (laughs) (laughs) Say that to me. <laughs> God damn it. So the district attorney uh decide like he's gung ho. This is the guy, Curtis is the guy, murder trial. And there's and I again I really implore everybody to please listen to this podcast because there's so much more to it. Um he goes through trial. He is taken to trial for murder six times. And you wait, ask wait, yourself wait. How do you get tried six times for the same murder? Wait, goes through the whole trial process, is found innocent? No, nope. no, because okay. double jeopardy. Yeah, that's what I was like. So he goes through the first murder trial yeah. and is found guilty. Sentenced to death, you are going to die. Okay. He appeals. Okay. I can, I'm going to mix some of this up and I, and I get which trial is, yeah. is... The first trial, I believe, is then... I don't know the right word. Not acquitted. Um... The Supreme Court of Mississippi says that there was major prosecutorial misconduct mm-hmm. that Doug Evans, who's the district attorney, uh, lied in court or that he was uh, basically you didn't carry yourself as the way that you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get a fair trial in that jury. That was either a jury of all white people okay or 11 white people and one so not of one his black peers. person it was not of his peers <clears throat> but that had nothing to do with that i'm just gonna because yeah. that'll come into play later but that first one i think was prosecutorial misconduct then he gets tried again so sometimes they get thrown out for a hung jury sometimes they get thrown out for like multiple times prosecutorial misconduct mm-hmm. same da each time it gets mm. it gets thrown out and the da goes still gonna try it still curtis Puts him back in, goes through the trial, finds him guilty, goes to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court goes, that court, that whole, that was a farce. Yeah. Doesn't count. And then he goes, all right, let's do it again. What the shit? He just keeps rolling the dice. Oh, so we get to 
Oh, so at one of them, so then it's, you know, prosecutorial misconduct, uh, hung jury. You get to some where uh, they're going after the fact that uh, he didn't have a jury of his peers. Mm -hmm. So then, like, these reporters for this podcast go through and they're, like, trying to find all the trials that uh, this DA has uh, has run. And he uses, because you get to essentially veto Mm -hmm. jurors when you're in jury selection all he does is veto black jurors when it's a black defendant. Mm. So that's not unique to this case that he's like, I do not want black jurors on this case with this black man that's sitting in the defendant's chair. And so he's creating this already bias. It's, I mean, it's, it's unconstitutional. Yeah. And so there's that whole part of it. Then there's, uh, and he just, he runs unopposed. Like, if you, th- you think a DA should not be able to run, it's 20 years later, 21 years later, mm. we're still trying these same, you know, somebody else, should, if he's guilty, somebody yeah. else should be trying this case, yeah, not the same dude from 20 years else, ago yeah. that has already been found to have misconduct yeah. multiple times. Anyway. So wait, what is linking him? Is it the gun and people seeing him there? That's all that's linking so him? So there's kind of, there's a couple parts. So it's all the eyewitnesses that said that they saw him. Okay. Many of which have recanted their testimony okay. and said, I didn't say that or I just said that because I thought I'd get a reward. Or, yeah. But many of them have recanted. The only one who still hangs around as a witness, like there were, uh, there's jailhouse snitches involved and then there's kind of some nefarious things from detectives to get mm-hmm. jail. Like what did like say, and that was one of the things was like saying, cause you have to say in court, if a jailhouse snitch is being used as a witness, mm-hmm. um, like he told me in the cell that whatever you have to tell the jury. Now this witness has a shorter sentence. You have mm-hmm. to tell them if they yeah. get something for it. And they said both these witnesses received nothing for their testimony uh-huh. and they did. Yeah. Which is a lie. I mean, you straight up lied to the jury. So, You've got witnesses, whether it was people saying they saw him or witnesses saying that he, he, he confessed to the crime. So they have that. Yeah. Uh, they have the fact that at the crime scene, there were blood prints from a Grant Hill Fila basketball shoe. Mm-hmm. And Curtis doesn't own that shoe. But when they went to his girlfriend's house, they found an empty box for a pair of Grant Hill Fila shoes. Same size and everything. Same-ish size <clears throat> that the girlfriend was like, well, those are my son's. Those aren't Curtis's. And the son was like, yeah, I outgrew those and threw them away. Mm. So there's kind of an explanation from people that may and or may not be willing to lie for him. What would be his motive? Like, was They say money- that he was pissed that he got fired and okay. he went and executed a 16-year-old kid and three of his coworkers, one of which was his boss. Mm. Okay. It's thin. Yeah. So then, like, you start learning more about, like, like one like, dude that had the gun is kind of sketchy and strange in the way that they talk about him. Then there's this other guy who, so the, one of the reasons, like, what they're pulling up now to go into the seventh trial, or it's in appeals now, is that uh, there was another guy who got picked up right away who wore Grant Hill Fila shoes that was in the neighborhood can be can be put in the neighborhood that has this long criminal history of violent crime 
Um, and like, and they interview him and he's like saying stuff where it's like, why are you saying, like, if you did it, why are you saying that? Yeah. Um, but all of that, like that they had brought him in for questioning, that they had taken his shoes, that they had processed his shoes, that they had processed him as a potential, uh, you know, candidate to have done it. Yeah. None of that was given to the defense mm. and you have to disclose yeah. all of that information. So one of the other appeals is like, they did not give him his due. You have to let the defense know if there's other potential suspects suspects. and they didn't so like there's just a lot of prosecutorial misconduct in all of these trials there's a bunch of like witness tampering Mm. there's crazy witness like one of the trials ended where it ended in a hung jury and then the one guy who was the lone african-american juror on the trial on the jury the whole time he was not in town when all the murders happened okay he was out in the navy and they go, so he was like the one person who hadn't read about in the papers. Like mm-hmm. he was kind of unfamiliar with the case and everyone kept saying stuff in jury deliberations where he go that, that wasn't mentioned at court. We can't talk about that. Yeah. You can't mention that article. Ah. You can't, he kept trying to keep everybody within the rules of a jury. Yeah. And then at one point he said, I was actually, he goes, I was like in the alley near that place when the actual crime happened, not when all like the like trials yeah. and all that took place um but i didn't see anyone running away like so he makes some offhand comment about how i was in the area and didn't see anything so i don't think that means anything like he's kind of making a point of like it doesn't mean anything that i didn't see anything yeah but then when he's found not guilty the judge is so mad that now it's on it's like fourth or fifth jury that he like drags that juror up and he's like you lied i got a note from another juror saying that you mentioned something that wasn't mentioned in court and he's like yeah in a way like but i've been trying to keep them all like, yeah and he's like you're no you're going to and sends him like he could have gone to jail for 10 years because he said that you obviously lied when you were asked during jury picks yeah. are you familiar with this case well they're all familiar with this case he goes because you were asked this question you lied you're in contempt like you're going to jail so they drag off this <gasps> one juror in handcuffs he goes to jail. What the He shit? gets a lawyer. It goes to grand jury. Grand jury goes, yep, there's enough evidence <gasps> here. Take him to trial. They take him to trial. And while he's like in trial, waiting for trial, they pull the transcripts from <gasps> jury selection. And they go, he was never asked. They go, you're, what you're saying is that he lied. He never was asked the question you're saying he lied to. Yeah. He was never asked, do you have any whatever and that was the like the technicality that was that he, he in got jail the whole time not a long time Ugh. but a, like a day a day is too much D- yeah there uh... are so like i'm not conveying to you how upset you should get about each little step of it i don't know if curtis flower is guilty or not but i will say that there have been so many missteps yeah and like you get really mad at this da you get like frustrated with it's crazy so i don't know how tangential and like crazy off that went and how much of a narrative that is did you follow the story did it make sense yes i think i was drinking four loco so i got a little confused from the first story (laughs) and the first season into the next season but yeah so the the whole point of this of the, the the second season they're both great and they're so different like what i love about season two is it is so indicative of like we like to feel like we've come so far with race race relations we like to feel like everything is so fair and it is so not and it's i feel like it's important to highlight those stories and when it happens and this is like he's going like it goes to the like the supreme court 
I don't think Mississippi Supreme Court. I think it goes to the Supreme Court in June of 2019. Wow. So they're like, the fact, and then when they were like talking to one of, I, can't, I think it was one of the judges, and they're talking to him, and they're like, don't you think it's insane that we're, we've been through six trials? And he's kind of like, no. And they go, he goes, he, there's a difference between being a convicted felon of murder and not and being on trial for that. And they're like, but you understand from Curtis's perspective that he's been incarcerated for 21 years. Mm. And that while he's been not again, not never acquitted while he will be found guilty. And then they'll say that was an unfair trial. He's still like the very next day. He's still, he's never not been incarcerated since this all began to him. It's the same to, to a person who's found guilty of murder. You lose your freedoms. Yes. You're in jail. That that's the punishment. He's had the punishment for 20 years. And the guy's like, there's a huge distinction. Like there's such a lawyer brain there, yeah. Where you're saying no, he doesn't have, like, on paper the right yeah, to vote. Not, yeah. the blah 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 blah. It's very different. And while yes, technically it is. How about you serve along with him until this it's is so resolved? Dif- it's so different. It's crazy. Yeah. Season, so season one is sad because it involves children and mm-hmm. like that one dives into. There's really great resolution in season season one because they have some updates that happen after the seasons aired. Uh, and this, and season two is one of those, like you're in the throes of it. Who knows how it's actually going to go, but it's interesting to hear all the different part. Like you'll never know if you're not a juror, you're not hearing all the, you know, you can have an outsider's perspective and think a certain thing, but. So do we think it's resolved in the last episode you had? Season one gets resolved. Season two is not. Okay. Cause June of this year is when the Supreme court's going to look at it and say, Yep, you had another unfair trial. And what was the name of that episode? Uh, In the Dark. In the Dark. And it has this, it follows the same kind of like serial tone. Like yeah. she's, like there's a, a female narrator who's interviewing people and there's reporters involved and, edit, you know, producers and stuff. Awesome. Thank you, Jackie. It's really good. Uh, we're going to take a short break. I'm going to get some water and food. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, we took a brief break and we weren't going to make this stupid concoction Jackie wanted to make. Um, but Jackie... Jackie wanted to. It was the original plan. No, I protested the original pr- plan. Okay. <clears throat> Jackie, tell the people what we did. If you are doing a podcast and your episode is about Four Locos and you stumble across an internet recipe for a homemade faux loco you kind of feel like you have to make it we make cocktails we don't buy pre-made manhattans and margarita mixes from the store we make them from scratch so i only feel it's appropriate that we make a terrible homemade four loco yeah that's my feeling on the matter i feel like in theory the recipe sounded fine it and sounded disgusting. It, well, yeah. I mean, it sounded like what a Four loco would be made yeah, out of. it made um, sense. And then we got down to the math of it all, and it did not make sense. No. So we, we have the Kool-Aid. So you're, you're supposed to put in 20 ounces of a malt liquor, mm-hmm. which we had and we did, four ounces of a vodka shot, or four shots of vodka, which we did, and then here's where we got confused. It asked for three tablespoons, tablespoons, of 
Kool-Aid mix. And I, we, you had the little packets that are so concentrated that I'm looking at those and I'm like, one packet makes a whole pitcher. It makes two quarts. Two quarts, yeah. And then normally to make Kool-Aid, it's one packet of that, a cup of sugar, and water. And so I'm like, I'm like three tip, like that's so strong. And mm-hmm. you're like, four loco's crazy. And I was like, I get it. <laughs> it's loco. So we did one <laughs> packet, and that was all we did. We did the 20 ounces of malt liquor, the vodka, and the Kool-Aid with a tablespoon of sugar. Mm-hmm. I ended up putting more sugar in it later. It looked so deep, dark red. red. Yeah. It looked so... It doesn't taste anything like a four loco. No. It's made of all the four loco things. But it doesn't taste... I mean, it's a completely different drink. I could be already drunk, but this tastes better now. I would agree with that. I think you were right. The other we one needed... smelled crazy and... Yeah, this one we put more steel reserve after the fact and a little bit more sugar and it tastes great. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. Cut that. that tastes great. It doesn't taste nuts. It's so Do red. you like alcoholic Kool-Aid? This is the drink for you. This drink? <laughs> this episode? Yeah. All of this is a mess. This I'm whole sorry. night has been a mess. <laughs> this has been, I will say though, so fun. Your roommate, your boyfriend, we've just yeah. been hanging out down here Jibber telling jabber. stories. Hens a clicking. Yeah. Clicking? Clicking. Clucking. <sighs> this is going to be a rough story. <laughs> this is going to be a rough edit, and I'm going to have very little time to do it. <laughs> All right. I'm dying to know your story and what your tie is. Are you? I am, though. Because you groaned at my tie. When I said, because I think. No. Okay. This is the thing. I was going to do that. I was going to do that same thing. I was going to do four victims. Um, but I was chatting with my roommate, Katie, actually. And I was telling her why we were choosing for loco. And like, because mm. like back in the day when you're turning, turning 21 and you're in college, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, you should go the college route. Oh. So I went the college route. I'm ready. I'm going to tell you about Daniel. Harold Rowling, a.k.a. the Gainesville Ripper. Gainesville, Florida? Uh-huh. It's already good. <laughs> okay. Daniel was born May 26, 1954. His father was James Rowling, who was a police officer, and his mother was Claudia Rowling. Um, unfortunately, his father was very verbally and physically abusive to both him and his mother, um, and later to his brother, Kevin. Um, his mother did try to leave his father on several occasions, but she ended up coming back to him. Um, Daniel grew up to be a tall man who weighed 200 pounds and had brown hair and hazel eyes. He would enter a life of crime that consisted of three counts of armed robbery, one count of regular old robbery, three counts of attempted armed robbery, and two counts of aggravated assault on a law enforcement officer. Dude. <clears throat> so he's out of jail. And when he is 36, year old, 36 years old, he makes his way to Gainesville, Florida. Once there, he decides to set up a tent in some woods near the campus of University of Florida. And it just so happens to be the week leading up to fall semester. And the, this means that a bunch of students are flocking in. Mm-hmm. They are either returning students or new They're students. They're moving in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's excitement. Yeah. Excitement um, abounds. A little side fact for you. On August 20th of 1990, Gainesville, Florida was ranked as being the 13th best place to live in the United States by Money Magazine. Money Magazine. Ooh, I don't know that <laughs> magazine. <laughs> Do you have that magazine? No. Oh. I mean, I have a subscription, but... 
<laughs> but I don't know it. <clears throat> the first rule about Money Magazine is you, <laughs> you don't, don't talk, talk about, about Money, money Magazine. magazine. <laughs> okay. So, on August 24th, Daniel follows two freshman roommates, Sonia Larson, who's 18 years old, and Christina Powell, who's 17 years old, to their uh, off-campus apartment. So, he's there, he sees a couple, and he follows them. Mm-hmm. Okay. He brings a toolkit with him that has a K-bar knife, which is a U.S. Marine uh, Corp fighting knife, duct tape, a handgun, and a screwdriver. He went out that evening with ill intentions. Yeah. He's got, like, this, like, toolkit for a crazy person, and he sees a couple and he follows them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Daniel breaks into the apartment and finds Christina sleeping downstairs. He uh, sees a bunch of unpacked boxes because they're moving yeah. into their new apartment. Um, so he creeps back. Uh, he creeps past Christina and he goes upstairs and he sees Sonia uh, asleep in her bedroom. Daniel then starts to attack Sonia while she is asleep and stabs her in the upper chest area and then places a double strip of duct tape over her mouth and continues to stab her. Um, fair warning. Uh, this is horrible. This is going to be a very graphic um, portion of the oh, episode. we're back to Adria special. I'm sorry. Um, again, very graphic. Okay, so during the attack, she receives stab wounds on her arms and receives a deep cut to her left thigh. Sonia dies within a minute of the attack. After killing Sonia, Daniel returns downstairs where Christina is uh, still asleep. He presses a double strip of tape over her mouth. So which, she woke up to <clears throat> tape over her mouth? Mm-hmm, which wakes her up, and then he subdues her by taping her hands behind her back. Um, Daniel then rapes her. He then makes her uh, lie face down on the floor near the couch and stabs her five times in the back, which kills her. Daniel then mutilates their bodies and poses them in various positions, and then he leaves. Ugh. Um, I'm going to now take kind of like a side story to the story. Um, then at 4 PM on Sunday, August 26th, 1990, which is two days after the murders, uh, 35 year old police officer, Ray Barber was about to clock off from his shift when he gets a complaint about loud music and a call to, uh, assist a citizen. And these are, this is like a routine kind of call. And, um, (coughs) since he was about to clock out, he's like, you know what? I'll just take care of this on my way home. Uh, so Ray gets to the apartments and he meets with the landlord and apparently, uh, the parents of two of the tenants, like were worried about their daughters and cause they hadn't heard from them all weekend. So they contacted the landlord and the landlord was kind of iffy about just going into the mm-hmm. apartment. So he called the police. Le- legally you have to provide 24 hours notice before you enter a tenant's home unless there's like a water main break or. Okay. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Landlords can't just come up in your house. Got it. Unless there's a reason for them to become up in it. Like, the police told you to come in, mm-hmm. or there's straight-up damage Okay, stuff. perfect. So that lines up. So, <clears throat> landlord calls the police. The police show Got up. It. Ray is here. <clears throat> uh, the parents are actually also there, and they're like, our daughter's cars are right there. And, yeah. like, they knew we were coming down. Like, this is move-in weekend. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd ex- be answering their phones. They'd, they'd answer the door. Us, yeah. yeah. Um... So Ray calls for backup before entering the apartment and like backup get, gets there and then they decide to open the door. And when they open the door, they find the bodies of Christina and Sonia. Um, and then another side story to the side story. Uh, so the police are going through the crime scene and then a girl, Elsa Strep, approaches the apartment and the police stop her and ask her like who she is. Mm-hmm. 
apparently she was a third roommate that was supposed to move into the apartment. No. But she hadn't arrived yet. Do you have a weird survivor's guilt? Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. So she was like, she parked her car. She was going in. She was like about to start moving in. in. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. I don't like your story. Okay, so Ray, the police officer, he finishes up at the crime scene. He heads home, and he uh, finds his wife, Gail Barber, um, and they start talking about what had just happened, and Gail's also a police officer. So she, Same district unit? I, I think so. Maybe a little bit way, different. But they're both police yeah, officers. Both, both police officers are chatting about what just happened, uh, but then Gail has to leave because she has a midnight shift. So she gets to work, and not long after, she gets a call from dispatch asking her to go check on um, this girl named Krista Lee uh, Hoyts, who is 18 years old. Uh, Chris- Krista hadn't shown up for her job with the Alku. Oh, no, I should have looked this up. Alku uh, County Sheriff's Office, where she was a records clerk. So she works for the county. She works oh. for the county police office. Uh, <clears throat> and so Gail is on her way to Krista's house. Um, so she's on her way. So we're going to rewind the story a little mm-hmm. bit again. Uh, and Daniel had just killed the first two girls. Yeah. And now he's on the search for his next victim. Mm-hmm. And he sees Krista. Just like walking around? Mm-hmm. So he sees... This Chris- is terrifying. Yeah. So he sees Krista and she goes back into her apartment and he decides that that's going to be his next victim. She leaves for the day and he decides to pry um, open the sliding glass <gasps> door. in her house. Of her apartment with a screwdriver, and he hides until Krista returns home around 11 a.m. Uh, Daniel surprises her from behind, placing her in a chokehold. He then tapes her mouth and her hands. And is then he t- like a big, strong dude? <clears throat> or? He's like 200 pounds. Oh, that's right. You said he's, that. Yeah, he's like six foot something. Yeah. Um, so he, he tapes her up. He takes her into her bedroom, and he rapes her. Um, <clears throat> this part, again, gets very graphic. Um, Daniel then turns Krista face down in her bed. And stab, stabs her through the back. He ruptures her uh, aorta and kills her. From the back? hmm Daniel then cuts off her head and places it on a nearby bookshelf. Ugh. He then poses her body in her bed so that she is sitting upright. He then slices off her nipples and leaves them on the nightstand. And then he slices her open from chest to pubic bone. And then he leaves. Okay. Um, so I, I I just thought it was very interesting that Ray Barber, the first police officer, got called to the first crime yeah. scene. And then his wife goes to the next to one. the next one. There's no like this doesn't come back yeah, later. Yeah, I just yeah. thought it was like a horrible coincidence yeah. for this poor couple. Um, okay. So a little over a day later at approximately 3 a.m. on August 27th, Daniel breaks into the apartment of Tracy Powell's and Manuel Taboda, um, who are both 23, 23 years old and are students. He again pries open the, uh, double glass sliding door and then creeps into one How of the- How do you pry open the sliding door? It's with the screwdriver. If you just kind of push it from the top up, it jimmies it into that space that's left at the top and you can- not my sliding glass door. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, he again pries open the double glass sliding door and then creeps into one of the bedrooms where he finds Manuel asleep. Daniel then starts to attack Manuel. So, Manuel is actually a former football player. So, he's stacked. Big dude. And so is Daniel, also a big do- dude. 
Uh, so Daniel starts attacking him with a knife, but of course Daniel wakes up and he starts to fight back. But Daniel keeps stabbing him on the arms, hands, chest, legs, and, and face. Yeah, and um, this eventually kills him. Yeah. Um, hearing the commotion, <clears throat> Tracy goes to Manuel's bedroom to investigate, and at catching a glimpse They're of just roommates. Yeah. Catching a glimpse of Daniel, she runs back to her room where she tries to lock the door, but Daniel follows her and breaks through the door. Because they're the last doors. Mm -hmm. Uh, He subdues her, tapes her mouth and her hands and rapes her. He then turns her over on the bed and he kills her with three stabs to the back. So a couple days uh, pass and a friend of Manuel's goes to the apartment to check on him because he, he can't get a hold of him. And he keeps knocking, but there's no answer. So he grabs the maintenance guy to come open the door since he has a master key. And when they open the door, they immediately see Tracy's naked and bloody body in the hallway. And there's a dark bag next to her. And so they immediately shut the door and they lock the door and they call the police. Yeah. So the police obviously arrive within five minutes. And when they enter the apartment, the door is unlocked and the bag is gone. And um, Tracy's body has been placed on a towel, and police guessed that Daniel had been interrupted before he could mutilate the body. So he he was yeah there there. I I hate it. Those are the worst stories. I I haven't told this story on the podcast yet. I don't know when I'll bring it in. I, we've talked about this. It is the crate, like it is the story that scared me so much as a child. It was like the first true scary true crime story. But the story of Polly Class and how she's fucking in the trunk when the police come and talk to him in that car. That in and of itself, that you have the police are right there and they think she might have been alive in that trunk. Like those moments of like, yeah. <sighs> Or if uh, these guys had gone in and he was there and he killed yeah, them. Or if they're yeah. like, yeah, there's so many. Uh, but it's so crazy because like the murders had happened and it had been a couple of days. Not that they knew this, but like that means he was obviously getting in and out of the house and coming back and like yeah. doing things. Um, <clears throat> so this is kind of another like side fact. Daniel would usually remove skin and body parts and keep trophies from his vic- victims. He would pose his victims in sexually provocative positions and enraged at the murder scenes using props that included broken mirrors, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, this investigation was huge. Yeah. With 6,000... What year is this? Um, 2000s? Uh, 1990s, okay. I believe, yeah. Um, so, they get, like, 6,500 leads and, like, 1,500 pieces That's of evidence. That's so much evidence. to go through. Yeah. And they kept getting tips about a guy named Edward Lewis Humphrey, Oh, sorry, Humphrey, who had a history of violent outbursts, arrests, and had lived at Tracy Emanuel's apartments. So they want to arrest uh, Edward, but they don't really have any evidence against him. But then he attacks his grandma, so they arrest him on those charges instead. Um, But they still don't have any evidence to link Edward to the murders, so they finally uh, convince a judge to give them a search warrant to his apartment, car, etc. But they still didn't find any evidence. But the killings had stopped, so they were like, this has to be our guy. Yeah. Um, So in October, so a couple months later, Edward was sent to trial on assault charges against his grandmother. Um, Although his grandmother testified that Edward had not hit her, Edward was sentenced to 22 months in Chattahoochee State Hospital. Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee. Do you know what that? 
There's a famous country song. Really? Way down on the Chattahoochee. <laughs> That's really good. Fantastic. Chattahoochee. Um, There's Chattahoochee River. It's a big oh, Chattahoochee River. So Chattahoochee State Hospital. Uh, so this is where Edward um, had was convicted to go stay. Mm-hmm. But the, unfortunately, all the inmate or a lot of the inmates there were convicted murderers. Um, he was not released until September 18th, 1991. So like a year later. And was still considered a suspect in the murders. Okay. When obviously we know Daniel was our guy. I just thought that was, I don't know, poor Edward. I mean, he attacked his mom. He attacked his, he attacked his grandmother, but he shouldn't have been in there for, I don't know. They definitely prosecuted him like he was. I see what you're saying. Um, so back to the situation at hand. So hundreds of University of Florida students started to disenroll from the school. Because they're scared. Yeah. Those who stayed walked around in groups and would also sleep together in groups of dozens or so. Wouldn't uh, you? Like, put yourself in this in that mindset. Oh, being, I fucking get that. Like, let's say you're yeah. a freshman, right? You're a new... I would not walk... There's... I. You know when you look back on your life, you're like, that was dangerous. Oh, yeah. When I went to San Jose State... I lit like in the dorms, you're living on campus and you're not really leaving campus. But like the year after I was living in a, my, my apartment was like a block off campus, but we're in downtown San Jose and at ridiculous times of the night, I'd be like, I'm just going to go to Seven Eleven and get, what are you doing, Jacqueline? Yeah. Ja- Jacqueline. Dangerous. Stayed at a sex hotel in Brazil. Not in the good <laughs> part either. Oh man. At least you had somebody else with you. Yeah. Well, that then, doesn't make the story better. Then we were on the beach drinking and the cops followed us back on their motorcycles and they're like, oh, you know, and I was like, can I hold your gun? They're like, no, you want to go to the motorcycle? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. So. <clears throat> I'll go cut whatever that rambling story was. <laughs> but I do want to know that story. Groups of dozens. Okay. They're all together. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, this the sale of deadbolt locks and guns rose significantly. Yeah. So, like, you see economic, like... Oh, like, I'd be coming up with crazy shit in my house. <laughs> Home Alone style. Yeah, they have, like, New York style, like, you get a special thing that bolts to the floor. That oh. you put a steel beam in. Yeah. It goes to, like, you can't fucking open that shit. Yeah, that's what I want. Okay, so, uh... Locks increased, the sales of all... Edward, blah, blah, blah. Poor Edward. Okay, so, but in January of 1991, the police discovered Daniel Rowling in a county jail south of Gainesville, awaiting trial for a supermarket robbery. He initially denied committing the murders, but DNA tests ultimately showed he was responsible. So, Daniel starts the trial process for the murders, and Daniel's attorney wants him to plead not guilty. But at the last second, Daniel changes his plea to guilty, hoping this would prevent the jury from seeing the crime scene photos because he thought if he pled guilty, then the jury wouldn't see the crime scene photos. So he's like, okay, no matter what, if I go to trial and if I'm found guilty, he's trying to reduce the sentence. Yeah. He's like, they're going to put me on death row. Yeah. If like they see, they see, if they see it, I'm yeah. dying. And I want life in prison. Yeah. So they're like, he's like, if I plead guilty, they don't need to even see the crime scene photos. I'll be it guilty. Just, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But the prosecutors were like, no, fuck you. They're going to see everything. And they did. And so Wait, if you plead guilty, there's even a jury. Yeah. They had to go through like all the different like criminal charges against him, not okay. just the murders. Okay. So, um, Mm-hmm. So during the trial, Daniel sees three psychiatrists who all agreed that as a result of his father's abuse and his mother's failure to protect him from it, 
Daniel had severe personality disorder and functioned at the maturity level of a 15-year-old. But under cross-examination, they conceded that he did not suffer from multiple personalities and was aware of the criminality of his actions during and after the murder. Mm-hmm. So there was, like, contradictory evidence there. And the jury and Basically judge... Basically saying, like, everything's not all right. There's stuff going on with you. Yeah. But you're aware that what you're doing is wrong and you need to be held culpable, like you're culpable. So ultimately, the jury and judge found him guilty of all five murders and sentenced him to death. So Daniel goes to prison and starts drawing these really disturbing pictures and writes a very graphic book called The Making of a Serial Killer. And he writes and publishes this book with the help of a woman named uh, Sandra London, who was his fiance at the time. And this book tells the story of the murders from his vantage point. Hmm. And you can get this book on Amazon. You can, like, you can get this book. I'm not feeding that shit. It's, yeah. I didn't read it. I don't know. You can do what you want. But there's a book out there. So, he serves his time in prison. And it's his execution day. And then he decides to confess to three other murders. And he confesses to these murders that happened in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. The victims were Julie Grisham, 24, her nephew Sean Grisham, who was 8, and her Mm. father Tom Grisham, who was 55. He said he had wanted to kill one person for every year he was behind bars. He was referring to the total of 8 years in Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, um, which all occurred before the killing. So huh. the five and the three. Yeah. He also said that he wanted to become a superstar. Yeah. Um, duh, 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 duh. So for his last meal, he asked for a lobster tail, butterfly shrimp, and a baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and a sweet tea. And for the day of his execution. What's weird is that's like half of the order I would make. The shrimp. <laughs> And the lobster tail sounds good. <laughs> the cheesecake sounded too tasty. Little surf and turf. I wouldn't do the sweet tea. What I'm would, not into sweet tea. What would your uh, last meal be? Be last meal be mashed potatoes. God, you make mashed potatoes with like bunch of butter. Like mashed potatoes, man, they're so good. I mean, it doesn't have to be a meal, right? It can just be all my favorite foods. What is your last meal? You are in death row. But can I have like? How many things are they going to give me? I think they can give you whatever you want. It's your last meal. I mean, it's going to be silly. Because <laughs> I want mashed potatoes, ribs, giant ass shrimp. I kind of want a steak. Tortellini. That's all I can think of right now. I'm sure I'm missing like three foods. That's I... not that weird. They don't go together. I mean, mashed potatoes with all those meat options. <laughs> and then like tortellini on the side. Sure, why not? <laughs> What's yours? Oh my God. And you're going to die the next day, so it doesn't matter what it does to your gut. I don't give a shit. Pizza. Tortellini. Pizza. Dude. I'd include pizza. Pizza. Tortellini. I want some, like, baked mac and cheese. Like, you know what I mean? With all that cheese Mm -hmm. on there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I want... Fuck. I love Froyo with all the toppings on it. I want that. It hurts me so bad. See, I don't like the shit on there. I like I, Froyo. Shut up. I love I'll, those. I'll do one or two just so I'm like, it's like peer pressure. Oh my it's God. Dare. Dare warned me about how I'm going to feel when I get frozen <laughs> yogurt. 
No, when you go over there and you like, I know. Do you see? Okay, imagine it. You're at Froyo, right? And you see all the cereals up on the wall and all those little levers. This is me. I, that's me putting all the levers on. Ta, 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 What's your, ta, ta. Is there a Froyo place around here that you're into? Yeah, Spork by by Spork. What's it called? I don't know, Froyo. All right. <clears throat> There's just a cereal place in Santa Cruz where you can go and eat cereal and watch cartoons. <laughs> that sounds nice. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, what I found interesting is for the day of his execution, dozens of people, uh, like just all across the country, came to the prison and they gathered outside and they were protesting like the death penalty versus like uh-huh. no death Every penalty. T- yeah. And it was the largest turnout for an execution since Ted Bundy's execution. Did he get executed in Florida? Who was put to death at Florida State Prison in 1989, so just a couple of years before. Whoa. Yeah. I guess I didn't know it all ended in Florida. Mm-hmm. Which is weird, right? Because he was over in... Well, yeah, I just don't think of him as Florida. Um, so asked if he had any final words, witnesses at the execution said Daniel sang a song in which he repeated the line, None greater than the O Lord. And this is him singing to the to the relatives of the victims who were watching from the other side of the glass during the execution. Uh, Daniel was executed by lethal injection October 25th, 2006, and pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Whoa. Um, and my tie-in here was college students were loco. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. And that was Daniel Harold Rowling, a.k.a. the Gainesville Ripper. All right, guys. Obviously, this has been a boozy episode. As always, um, we'll be here every Monday, Murder Monday. Um, Hashtag Murder Monday. I swear to God, we will give you real cocktails between now and episode 30. But you know what episode 30 is? So excited. It's shrimp cocktails. Get ready, folks. We're going to eat shrimp. Because she loved that shrimp. Um, but between then and then, we will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're loco. <laughs> between now and then, <laughs> we will give you legit cocktails, I swear. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> holy cow that was great oh four locos rough oh i mean i'm having a great time I mean, yeah but we're never gonna get through this episode no we got it <laughs>